Want to see the stories that we have on the list? Hey, do you want to actually suggest a story to put on the list? The place to do that is superhumanregistrationpodcast.com. The world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. So maybe you just want to jump in with your uh, summary again, Stephen. And I mean, I feel like we need a lead-in. Maybe? Yeah, we do need a lead-in. I'll do it. All right. So welcome. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. We're here to talk about some traumatizing stories. These are we got a couple of really. Uh, loaded topics uh, on the docket for today, and we've had a little bit of a recording snafu, so I think we're going to really just get right into it. I am, of course, Steven, and I'm here with Aldo and John. How are you guys doing tonight? Yes. I mean, I'm good. Yes. <laughs> great great and good. You are yes and great and good. 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 You are I am good. good. We are we are good. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually in the middle of researching if Marvel Unlimited just does not have any Max series on it at all. I don't because apparently does. Stan Lee was not fond of the Max series. Oh, interesting. Part of my research. It's not super surprising, but I thought there was a Deadpool or Wolverine one of those. I thought I saw, hmm. but I would understand yeah. if it wasn't. Apparently, Stan Lee himself criticizing the imprint is that is that mm. is a sentence I just read. Interesting. Well, we're on the topic of the Max imprint because one of the stories that we are reading tonight is. Jessica Jones, Purple Daughter. This was a Marvel Digital original three-part story, but each of the parts is, like, the length of two issues. So, like, this is a good-sized story. This is a really good-sized story, and it is intense. Yeah. So, the story begins... Oh, and I, I should mention that this is written by uh, Kelly Thompson with art by... Mattia de Julius Ulis? Not a not a name I recognize, but we'll we'll talk about the art in more detail. Well you should recognize it. He was the Did he do the last one? He did. Okay, I wasn't sure. It does look I thought like it looked, the last yeah, one. Yeah, I thought it looked yeah. familiar, but I didn't make that connection. Yeah. So anyway, this does pick up where uh what what was the last story called? Blind Blind Spot. Blind Spot, yep. yeah. Blind. This picks up where Blind Spot left off. Jessica Jones' daughter. Danielle, I think is her name. Oh yeah. my gosh, because she's named after Danny Rand. Oh, that's adorable. She's named after Iron Fist. Oh, that's really funny. I just picked. I I don't know why I didn't pick up on that on my third reading of this book. <laughs> <laughs> she's been a character in the comics for how long? And it's like, oh, that's interesting. At least since Bendis days. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Danny Danielle is purple now. Her skin turned purple. And this is really triggering for Jessica Jones. And this is, I'm using the word triggering, not like you, your right-wing uncle troll on Facebook does, but actually in the term of Jessica Jones has PTSD and the color purple, especially purple-colored super people, like, that sets her off. And so she cannot be around her daughter right now without, like, feeling revulsion towards her. Or Oprah movies. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, the I changed the joke from the first recording that went down the drain, so... 
Man, I guess Kilgrave isn't the only thing coming back from the grave in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done, I swear, I swear. (laughs) Although that's actually a really good point. I was not going to mention this, but I'm glad you brought it up. As far as Jessica Jones knows, Kilgrave, (laughs) Purple Man, is dead. He got flung into the sun by Captain Captain Marvel. Marvel threw him into the sun, like we always joke about Superman doing. Which seems pretty permanent. He yeah. was supposed to, I'm pretty sure he was dead before she threw. Or at least she thought that he was dead. But it turns out that didn't actually happen because obviously he must still be alive because people are exhibiting like all of the signs of being controlled by the Purple Man. Uh, they're like going out and they're killing themselves in public in very horrifying ways. But Jessica does note that it's not as cruelly ironic as it, in his typical fashion. Like, yes. Like, he's lost his sense yeah. of humor. Yeah, so her detective skills are picking up some just, like, horrible uh, nuances to the whole case. But there's one other... There, like, there are a couple of elements that make this really disturbing. And it it's part of the reason she's, like, driving her friends away and demanding that she investigates this on her own. Because she has people coming out of the woodwork offering to help. Captain Marvel shows up and says, hey, do you want my help on this? And then as they talk it through... She realizes, Captain Marvel realizes that if she didn't throw the Purple Man into the sun, who did she throw into the sun? And did she accidentally kill an innocent person? And it kind of paralyzes her a little bit. Luke Cage is not really able to get involved and help his wife. For one thing, he's looking after their daughter because Jessica Jones cannot do it. And for another thing, having his daughter turn purple makes him question whether the daughter is actually his or whether the Purple Man used his powers to make himself Danny's father. And this is already really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we're dealing with, like, potential rape, potential suicide, and then just all of the trauma. And one of the, the interesting things about the story is all of these characters, Captain Marvel and Luke Cage, they realize that because of the contact that they've had with the Purple Man, they cannot trust their memories and it makes them so suspicious and frustrated and scared and then they realize oh this is what it's like to be jessica all the time this is why she drinks so hard yeah yeah it's really interesting the way that they tackle that anyway in the course of her investigation jessica jones teams up with i think the character's name is the purple woman she was a member of alpha flight she is i believe uh kilgrave's daughter yeah. Has has the same powers as he does. I do believe she's a superhero, although it does look like she's kind of crossed the aisles a couple times. But she hasn't crossed the aisle just yet. Am I right, boy? She's single. Ho ho. I'll see my way out. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, she also interacts with a group of children called the Purple Children. These are, again, it, I don't know if they're actually biological children of Zebediah Kilgrave. I'm assuming they are, but I don't actually know. I know nothing about them, but it's a it's a group of children. They all have Purple Man powers. They don't appear to be overtly villainous, but they do seem to be involved in the, the Purple Man shenanigans that are going on. And they are purposely keeping Jessica Jones out, and she does not trust them. Man, you know, after 60 years of writing comics, you can't blame them for, like, the naming conventions at this point. No, you really can't. <laughs> they're, they're, you mean, they're practical, too. It's like, do we need to come up with names for all of these purple people, or should we just call them the Purple Squad? <laughs> 
The Purple Platoon. So anyway. <laughs> oh man, if this was a Golden Age book, it would absolutely be called that. The Purple Platoon? Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, the Big Bang Theory spends a whole episode making, making fun of Stan Lee's tendency to use alliterative names for his characters. And there are like a lot. J. Yeah. Jonah Jameson, Finn Fang Foom, Peter Parker, Dum Dum Richards. Dum okay, Dugan. but but which one of them has an everlasting franchise and and history and in, in the world of comic books? And which other, and who's the other one that just inserts uh, laugh tracks into every not funny joke? Don't forget Young Sheldon. Yeah, let's not yeah, forget that's, that's that too. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, I hate. Okay, not a, anyway. Not a fan let's either. talk about watched, something. Yeah. The let's... point is, the alliterative <laughs> names in comic books are actually genius. Yeah, let's talk about something that makes me less angry than the, the purple. The, not the purple the big bang theory i was gonna call it the purple bang theory and i was like that's not that's i don't even know what that is i don't want to explore uh, that avenue of thought <laughs> yeah we're we're gonna leave that one alone yeah, so yeah the the cut the long story short jessica jones finally infiltrates the purple man's operations only to find out that the purple man himself is not actually running things he was basically beaten to death but he's like being kept on the brink of death by a biological son of his who does not have Purple Man powers. He is using the Purple Man's blood to manufacture different chemicals that he can use to control people. He uses an aerosol version to take control of Luke Cage. He uses an injectable version to take control of Emma Frost. And he does all of this and winds up taking control of Jessica Jones and forcing her into this weird, like, mother figure role. And the only way Jessica Jones can break that mind control is to allow the Purple Man from his hospital bed to take her over. And Purple Man plans on using her to kill his son. And the whole thing is very, very traumatizing. Jessica Jones is finally able to kind of like break free of the Purple Man's control and saves the day. But everybody kind of like disappears into the mist like supervillains tend to do. It's kind of an unsatisfying conclusion, except for the fact that once everything is said and done, Danny turns back to normal and she loses the purple skin tone. So that, yeah, that's taken care of, but... Purple Man himself is still out there somewhere, and so is his son. Wait, who who's the one that they took to the raft at the end, then? Oh, wait, no. Purple Man is back to the raft. His son is the one who disappeared. That's right, because the purple children took the not-purple man. Yeah, so the, the non-purple man escapes with all of, like, the purple man compound stuff that he made. But not, like, willingly. I feel like that's a detail. Like, the kids take him after he's been, like, knocked down and incapacitated. Like, the kids are like, we'll de- we-, we will deal with this. And then disappear. Well, no, no, that's with the purple man, I believe. I'm, che- I'm checking the issue, because I'm now misremembering it. Part of my complaint with this book is I actually found it to be kind of difficult to follow some of the action because some of the characters look too similar. Oh, yeah, because everybody's purple? Well, that's actually kind of the problem, is that for some characters, the only thing that distinguishes them is their purple. But with the way that some of the images are, like, shot or framed... I I say shot like it's a camera. Obviously, it's not. But the way some of the, the images are framed... The it, I can't tell if the purple is actually meant to be their skin tone or if the purple is like the shading from them being in the foreground and therefore being darker, you know? I, I don't think I had the same issue you did. 
Um, everybody I seems had a, pretty. A big problem. I I I don't I don't know. I just never really had that confusion. Um, it seemed pretty clear to me. It yeah. Benjamin escaped. The son, the purple children okay. and purple daughter are keeping purple man incapacitated. So so who went to the raft? The purple, purple man. man. Oh wait, that's right. Okay, you just said that. She said <laughs> I have one. Yeah, she says I have one for or two purple men for pickup. Scratch that, just one. Oh, and one thing I want to mention is while Jessica Jones is under the thrall of the purple boy who's not purple. Uh, that issue where she's kind of playing house. Oh, yes. Yeah. Art, yeah. The, the artist is Felipe Andrade. It's a different artist. He's done something else that we've read. Oh, you know where we can find out. Superhumanregistrationpodcast.com? Slash the list. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, he was the artist. On What If Magic. He became Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Okay. I actually think it's it's a good fit for this story. Yeah, for yeah. this section. Yeah. For this section of it, and I like I like that they've got this sort of like it's not really a fantasy sequence, but it is like not real. So they get a different artist. Like that makes sense. It yeah. gives the other artist a chance to work, and it makes sense within the story. So I I'm all for that sort of thing, and I think he does a pretty bang up yeah. job. I actually actually one of the standout frames for me in in that. It's kind of weird calling them issues because it's two issues per issue. Yeah. But anyways, on the third issue, as it's shown in the app, um, page 19, the shot where she breaks from the reality and it's just all the smoke clearing away and like her nightgown bathrobe thing like starts swirling up. Like that looks awesome. Looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't want to like disparage the artists on this at all i like felipe andrade i am not and we discussed this i think last time yeah um, i i think that the main art looks a lot like fraser irving who i don't really like and so matia de Julius Ulis, i really should learn how to pronounce that it's not that he's bad it's just not my taste it's not i think it works i was able to follow the story i know you said you had some trouble with it steven um, was there specific panels you can show us, like who, where you were getting confused about who is who? Because well, it's I the exact if... thing that it's the exact thing that we were just struggling with, where it's like mm-hmm. who got taken to the raft and who didn't. So issue three, page thirty four, we've got the the purple children and they're staring down at a man who is purple, but he's also like in the foreground and he's already darker. So I'm like, is the purple skin coloring intentional or oh. is it? like just darker because he's in the foreground. And so is that actually the sun part of like, and I think actually part of my frustration with this is I don't know that this book ever gives us a good close look at the purple man himself. No, I don't think like, it does. The one time no. we get it is when Jessica Jones walks into the room and she does that little Polaroid snapshot thing that she does when she's doing her detective work. And it highlights the purple man in a far shot lying or in a wide shot lying in a hospital bed well there is one where she has a flashback when she's doing her interviews with other with the victim's families and it's are you listening jessica and it has him in that oh you're right that is him i remember that image very clearly yeah. now that you've said that yeah because he looks like he looks like a purple reed richards right yes exactly <laughs> granted his son also just looks like a normal white reed richards he yeah. just looks like a normal reed richards yeah now, I don't know if there's enough, I don't know, I don't know if caricature is the nut is the right word, but they're going too much for realism, and I think they miss out on, on making it, I don't know, it's too, it's a bit too static. Yeah, we always have this conversation, 
every time like we we read one of these books and i actually i love the art in this book um and i think for the type of story it's telling i really like that they went with like uh like a near photorealist uh art mm-hmm. style yeah i was just gonna say like i'm i'm since we were just on the page I, i'm flipping through and this is the shots of Jessica hearing Kilgrave in her head and he's trying to take over her so she, he can act through her. They, you know, having said, this isn't like what I would choose. Like I, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan, but the expressions are very good when she's like fighting against it and realizing what he's about to do and what's going on. Like that is, you know, that works for me and it's, and it's well done. It's good craftsmanship, you know? Um, but yeah, I think that I would have preferred some other, yeah, and at, at the end of the day, it's like all down to personal taste on this. And, and, and me, I, I love this. Like, Steve and I have talked about Fraser Irvine. Is it Irvine or Irving? Irving. 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 We've talked about it a couple times on and off Even the podcast. Even on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it kind of keeps coming down to, like, I like him a lot, and Steven does not. Um, so... So I, I feel like I already kind of knew going into... I mean, granted, we've also read the first part of this book. Right, right. So, like, I already knew that, like, I liked them. <laughs> and then, I feel like I said this last time, too, but maybe I didn't. The more I look at the art, the more I'm questioning whether it's it's the art that I don't like or if it's just the colors. Because there's this weird sort of, like, faux 3D that comes in. The shading, yeah. The shading. Yeah. And that is... that's That's not... Uh, Mattia de Ulis, that's going to be the the uh, colorist, isn't it? Or is he doing the colors? Oh, it looks like it's him. He's listed as the artist. So yeah, yeah. Okay, it's him. No, I don't know. I feel <laughs> like with his art style, you couldn't, you almost couldn't rely on a on a colorist like that. No, style feels pretty unique to to him. I, I it yeah. feels like it's too of a piece, and so if again, like I don't want to say he's bad. I think Aldo's got got it just right it really is just a matter of taste and this is not my taste yeah um but that said i do think it suits the story i think this is a story that benefits from having something that is more verisimilitudinous oh i'm sorry <laughs> that's quite the word i mean i followed yeah. it but who just just flexing those english major muscles right here i mean you gotta, you gotta put that degree to work somehow <laughs> <laughs> If you drop out like me, you don't have to flex anything. <laughs> <laughs> now, just just because I like don't go wild over the art doesn't mean I don't like this book. Because I actually quite like it. I've got a couple of gripes with it. But in general, like we've heard a few stories by Kelly Thompson now. Yeah. Like I think more than a few. She might be one of the more well-represented uh, writers on our list. That's cool because she's good. Yeah, I, I think I'm a fan. Yeah. Have we only read two from her? It feels like we've read more. Nope. Oh, okay. Well, Rock, this is Rogue a third. Gambit in this. I, I yep. this barely counts as a third because it's a continuation of like the last one. <laughs> True. And it was really it was really quick too. I mean, like there was a lot to it, but like I don't know. Yeah. I think my biggest complaint with Kelly Thompson as a writer, and we can get into the positives after this, uh, but. She suffers a little bit from the Jeff Loeb syndrome of, like, cameos, bringing in characters, just kind of, like, to show them off. It's not quite what Jeff Loeb does, where he kind of rehashes the greatest hits of a particular character's appearance, but 
she definitely likes her cameos. Daredevil shows up for like a page for, as far as I can tell, no real plot significance. Uh, he's the he's the one that tells her about the head thing. Yeah, gives her not gives her the idea of you know shaking things up in this confrontation with Kilgrave. You know, like, yeah, at, fighting get coming at him from another angle. You know, so that she can get the drop on him, which works in two ways. Because she yeah she gets Emma to, uh, Emma uh, Frost. Well, she gets Emma Frost involved because she gets this neural disruptor from Emma Frost. And so I sure. feel like this could have been streamlined a little bit by having Emma Frost come up with the idea, or it could have been streamlined even more by having the detective figure that part out. Yeah, but I think part of this is also, and and, and we get this when she confronts that girl from the uh, from the meeting, from like the support group meeting. She's not entirely in like the correct headspace. True. And I think she can't be just a like a she can't do it all. You know, then the book is boring, and we need to see. Uh, I think her whole appeal is how flawed she is, oh, especially when she's dealing with like you know her her biggest nemesis, right? Yeah. Her like you know like someone she's afraid of more than anybody else. Like we have to um, see you know where where she comes short. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree with that. Um, but yeah, like <sighs> Daredevil pops in for a quick cameo. Captain Marvel pops in for a couple quick cameos. Emma Frost pops in for a cameo. Granted, Emma Frost actually does a little bit more than the other characters. It kind of also sets up how serious the situation is when, you know, one of the world's most powerful telepaths is, like, taken out of the picture pretty quickly. You have to wonder, like, oh, crap, what are they dealing with if this is what's going on, you know? That that raised the stakes for me, at least, because I like the X-Men, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but it's also like a thing where like you kind of, like, I, I I don't know. For me, it's it's kind of interesting because she's almost like a benchmark of like strength, like psychic strength. So it is interesting to see that she th- or I don't know because Kilgrave and her seem to be in entirely different pockets of the Marvel universe. Yeah. So it's a little interesting to see like where they land with each other, even though we don't actually get to really find out. Um. It is interesting to see like where they would land next to each other on the power spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. True, true. Okay, so I'm done complaining. Let's talk about the good stuff. Uh, Emma Frost <laughs> is, is an absolute diamond-encrusted snack. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> I mean, on the off chance that my wife ever listens to this, I feel like I can't comment. That's fair. <laughs> Although I do like that bit in, uh, I'm pretty sure it's the second issue where Emma Frost comes into Alias Investigations and she and Jessica Jones like have their little sniping at each other because they don't really approve of what the other person does and they don't actually like each other. And then at the bottom of page 14, Jessica Jones thinks to herself, ridiculous outfit, great boobs though. And then Emma Frost's little telepath balloon comes in and she says, aren't they though? Oh yeah. That yep. was, that was... Actually, I, I thought you were going to mention the part with, uh, with Luke Cage at the end. Oh my gosh. Or he's the diamonds. How yeah. am I going to get yeah. a look at diamond boobs? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, fair, fair point. Uh... <laughs> Luke, stop trying to look at her boobs. <laughs> but they're made out of diamonds. How many times in life am I going to be able to see diamond <laughs> boobs? Fair point. Fair point. Isn't that like... I forget if that's in something that we've read or something that I've just read that, like, Emma Frost does that to kind of, like, put people off and to be able to see what they really think of her, you know? Like, I don't know. 
it's also because you know it's a comic book and you know <laughs> that's that's what they're gonna do but i feel like there have been a lot of explanations for it but i think the simplest explanation is just the fact that emma frost was a member of like a kinky sex group and just embraced it and is still that type of person so, and it's uh, the Black King now, apparently. It's still a thing. I do th- I do find that more interesting than, like, you know, dating um, uh, uh, Cyclops. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Although that, that brings up the whole House of X, Powers of X thing. Yeah. Uh, that's been uh, wildly speculated about. The House of X, Power of X thing, by the way, if you're not familiar... Uh, they've released a new, like, Jonathan Hickman in one of his X-Men comics published a floor plan for the new, like, X-Men home on Krakoa, and, like, Wolverine and Cyclops and Jean Grey are all housed on the same side of the building with no doors between their rooms. Yeesh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they have a little polyamory thing going on. Uh, That's that's very, very strongly implied. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't. I don't know how I like that or not. I don't know. I mean, I don't think that they'd get along that well. <laughs> like, you know, Cyclops and Wolverine. I mean, you know, just whatever keeps the operation going smoothly. I guess. All right. I think. I think there's a read where where the the tension between Cyclops and Wolverine is actually of the unresolved sexual kind. <laughs> you could you could make that argument. I, I mean, you could. You know, Dokken is is bisexual. Maybe that's genetic. That's true. Maybe that's so is genetic. Wolverine. We know if, that Wolverine is bisexual. Wait, do we? Yes. Do we? Canonically, six one six. Uh, sure. I actually don't know if we know. <laughs> Canonically, or six one six Wolverine. Stephen sorting through. Stephen <laughs> sorting through his fan fiction and his actual <laughs> comic collection. He's like, oh wait, hold on, hold on, pump the brakes. Uh, Might have hold mixed on. them up. Might have mixed them up. Because <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, I know there's alternate versions of Wolverine that are that are gay. I don't know about bisexual, but they like cowboy Wolverine is gay. Which saying yeah, that yep. sentence out loud just makes more sense. Only in a post Brokeback Mountain world, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, uh, so uh, okay, so we apparently like Emma Frost. <laughs> I love the scenes where uh, Jessica and Luke are sitting next to each other, not saying a thing, and Luke is like, "You got to, you got to say something," and she's just like, "No, there's no, there's nothing I can say here," and it just really that's that tension, that situation of of everything that's going on. Because um, the only thing I know about Jessica Jones is Purple Man, like that's that's all I know, and it. So I mean, you know, we're, I, I knew enough to know like the weight of the situation. But I thought that was really well done handling that whole conversation and like when you're when you're having a big problem with your family, with people closest to you, and it's really emotional and how you're you know the wheels in your head keep spinning and spinning in the same same you know going around and around in circles and everything. Um, there's just no way out of it, and like that's that stress and that um, feeling of just you know helplessness and, and and all of that was conveyed really well. Yeah, I think not just Luke Cage, but I think a lot of the supporting cast as they're slowly realizing like the hell that Jessica Jones has to like live in when it deals with the purple man. Yeah. I think like it's 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 him and it's also Captain Marvel as they're figuring this out like you're just like, "Oh. Oh dang." And all of a sudden like a lot about Jessica just kind of starts to make sense for them. Like she doesn't just drink because like mm-hmm. it helps her or whatever. Like it's it's the only thing that like numbs that pain. Yeah. I mean also 
kids don't actually drink to numb the pain. That's not a good solution. Go go exercise, numb your limbs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, yeah, so I think the way that the this book confronts the trauma that Jessica Jones experienced and makes it relatable to other characters, like, is the smartest thing that the story does. Like, I, I really like that. And it does it in a bunch of ways. And one of the big ones is the support group. Yeah. Which I feel like that is something that came from the Netflix show, but I can't actually place it. So maybe it didn't. It was on the Netflix, the Netflix show. But it I don't was? know if... Yes, yes. That's a big thing. Um, the most... Like, there's a character, like her upstairs neighbor comes in this support group and kind of like, you know, yells at everybody. And I hated her, but everything else about the show was terrific. Um, oh, yeah, I remember they, the neighbors. They meet, in a, oh, they meet in a, yeah, like the brother and sister upstairs. It's yeah, yeah, awful, yeah, I remember awful. them now. Um, they uh, meet in a diner and Jessica Jones shows up. Um, similar kind of thing, like gets a little bit more to go on, kind of realizes there's more people out there, but she needs, she's the only one that can fix it and stop it. So she, there's a disconnect between the victims and between her. So yeah. similar, probably that's where it came from. It felt very familiar. Like if you were a fan of the Netflix show, then you would have kind of like a base to understand this show or this show, this uh, comic. So and I think it's pretty safe to say that this comic exists in part because of the Netflix show. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think that's controversial. No. I mean, it's, it came after it, and it's very clearly influenced by it. Right. I, I think that there is room for, in as much as it generally isn't my cup of tea, I think there's room in comics for this sort of, like, darker story. And I think that overall, Thompson et al. handle it with the right touch, and it never gets too dark. Like, it never yeah. gets self-indulgently dark. You know, it, it knows how dark it needs to be. It implies all of the frustrating, all of the really, like, horrifying stuff. The the possibility that uh, Kilgrave is actually Danny's father. All of the, the trauma, the specific trauma. Like, it doesn't delve into in anything approaching, like, the, the sort of pornographic over the toppedness that you see from other uh, less subtle creators. And so I think it walks a really fine line and it does it well. Yeah. yeah. I th and I think that's really kind of a compliment to a lot of the stuff doing what it needs to, if that makes, I, I don't want to say firing yeah. on all cylinders, but a lot of the book is firing on all cylinders. Um, and particularly to the stuff like that we just mentioned, um, because they, it, you know, like Steven said, it's running a very fine, fine line. It's very easy for this book to really go, I mean, I don't want to say it's the best comparison, but the best example of writing that fine line and then absolutely not not writing it very well is the Black Cat Kevin Smith book. Bingo! That's oh, I, yeah. I, I actually was not thinking of that, but you're a hundred percent right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. It's not in because it, it's not. It's kind of insulting to your readers if you spell everything out, you know. But this. You know, it, we 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 know what's what they're talking about, and they don't have to show us all the scenes where you know all these horrible things happen. You know, I and I appreciated that. And not just insulting. I also think it's actually like this is a story that is somewhat about traumatic triggers. Yeah. And it respects the fact that people experience trauma. Like it, it respects the trauma enough to not play the trauma for drama. I wish there was a way I could have said that without it rhyming, but... You think your English major would have prevented, or, uh, you know, 
enabled you to do that. But uh, maybe in my there's... second or third draft, I would have done it. But... <laughs> Just spitballing here. Come on. Like it, it recognizes that you know certain events, certain things can be triggering for readers, and it un- you can tell that the story understands that because it acknowledges the triggers that Jones herself is experiencing. Yeah, and so. Yeah, it's a really hard balancing act. And I think there's there's potentially an argument to be had that Kelly Thompson is going too soft. Maybe there's an argument to be had. I'm not the one who's going to make it, though, because I think she she rides that line really well. Yeah, I think she did a really good job. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with her not uh, getting into any deeper into it because we know... We know what's going on, and and that's all the understanding that it takes to convey that message, so yeah. I think this is a book for adults, and I think with a lot of adults, the implications are sometimes worse than the actual evidence. You know what else this book reminds me of? What? Uh, Sins Past. Huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the sense that, like, again, this book leaves to the imagination what Sins Past kind of gives us explicitly, and we didn't want it. So yeah, yeah, no, I'm... (laughs) Norman Osborn's all, oh, Norman Osborn's nope. old face. Oh, why did you say it? Why did well, you say why? it? Why? Why? Because if I have to remember, you do too. I did remember it. That's why the entire point of this conversation, although, is sometimes it's better to leave things unsaid. Well, I'm no Kelly Thompson. <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> Apparently, you're more of a Straczynski or a <laughs> Smith. Hey, let's not say things we can't take back, Stephen. Come on. <laughs> This is comics. We can take everything back. Yeah, oh, on the, on the episode. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, anything else we want to say about this? We've, we've actually been talking about it for a little while. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Emma Stone's read a snack. It. Yes. <laughs> Emma Stone's a... <laughs> Listen, man, I just I just added that to my vocabulary the other day. Let me let me write it for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I think we're going to move on now. <sighs> okay. Who wants to tackle Demon Bear Saga? I think John wants to tackle Demon Bear Saga. Can I? Yeah. Do it. Sometimes you <laughs> realize that you're a mutant, and sometimes you have nightmares about bears. Did I just lose you guys? No, we're no, still here. No, okay, it just I'm, got I'm, really quiet, and I was like, call, but, oh, geez. <laughs> okay, maybe you lost us in the sense that, where are you going with this? <laughs> I no, mean, there's I know no exactly su- where this is going. I'm, I'm there's on. no, there's no subtlety to that. Uh, Danny Moonstar had nightmares about bears, demon bears. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's a joke I want to make, and I just shouldn't, so I'm not gonna. Oh, too subtle for me. I have no idea what's going on. It's but... fine. The implication Good. is there. <laughs> oh, I think I know where all this going. <laughs> it's fine, Stephen. Leave it alone. Let's let 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 John summarize his book. <laughs> Do Moonstars dream of demon bears? <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, it's it's no, so nice to know not. the episode title before it comes out. That was that, is that the episode title? See, I could have sworn we were going to somehow make a purple people eater joke. And I was holding back so hard. I was holding back <laughs> yeah, so I was, hard. Sorry that didn't happen. I was actually pretty happy with if you're a dropout like me, you don't have to flex. That was Ooh, my episode yeah, title. See, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it up to Steve, Stephen. Both those are both solid. So. Oh gosh. Anyway. Um, the new mutants are. At this point, composed, composed, com- compromise. There's, there's a couple of them. Who? The word you want is composted. Comp. I don't think that's it at all. <laughs> 
So the new mutants are the next generation of mutants to come to the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. Have we read them yet? No, outside we of, have not. No. Yeah. Outside no, the new of like mutants bigger are new issues. To us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Ah. Otherwise, it would have been the old mutants. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> we have Cannonball, Magma, Sunspot, uh, Danny Moonstar at this point. I don't know if she's being called Psyche or Mirage. I think she's just called Danny Moonstar. Okay. And who else? Ilyana Rasputin or Magic um, is on the team. Um, the, we get the first hints of Warlock. Because he's out in space and, and heads to Earth. Uh, Sunspot. Ron Sinclair. Wolfsbane? Is it Ron? I thought it was Rain. I don't even know. I, I actually, actually don't know how to pronounce it. Let's look that up. It's like Sorcerer running all over again. Oh, yeah. That blew my mind. I was like, really? Oh, that combination say, I, of letters? I think you mean Seorsi? No, I don't. It's Shirsi. It really is Shirsi. Is it Seorsi? Yeah. Oh, man. I have Shirsi. It's a, I, we have none of us have pronounced it the same way as anybody else. Shirsi Ronan, Shirsi. I refuse. Well, that's how she said it herself. On I Conan invoke my time, right of second so. language. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and it's even another language because it's Irish. I invoke my right of third language. <laughs> <laughs> okay, according to this blogger post from 2008, it's pronounced Rain. Let's go Rain. with that. Okay, yeah, if it's from 2008, I can trust... What blogger post? What are you talking about? <laughs> it could just be some dude who's like, I think it should be pronounced rain. I like it when it rains. Okay, it's Sersha. Shursa. Okay, so Shursa Moonstar. Oh. oh my... <sighs> How did we get on this topic? I, I, I refuse to, uh, to enable this. <laughs> so the team, as, as I understand it, the New Mutants, where they were like more like students at the you know students at the school not superheroes that constantly find themselves in like superhero escapades um but uh, Danny Moonstar is having nightmares about this bear and they she's she's come to Ileana t- for help she's trying to get over it it's this bear this demon bear that killed her parents and it keeps haunting her, and so she confronts it in her dream. And then the last, not the last page, one of the last pages of the first issue that we read, we get this really cool splash page of this monstrous bear, and she fights it. And then um, the uh, the team finds her out in the woods, um, bloody and dying out in the snow. They go to the hospital where. Um, they decide they have to try to somehow fight her and, um, as a team, as a, not just as like her friends, but as a team of, of um, mutants to try to you know fight this bear for her. Um, I forget, is it Ilyana who takes them in there? Like, how do they get to like her dreams and like fight her off? I can't. Yo, man, I legitimately I had issues following a lot of the action going on here. See, I think there's another podcast, um, Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. At the time, it was um, Rachel and Miles Explain the X-Men. It was an older issue because they were, like, huge fans of uh, New Mutants um, and, you know, talked about, oh, the Demon Bear, and it was, like, this big thing. And um, I don't remember how they get... Somehow... The Demon Bear transports. Ah. John, did you read the book? Did I read the book? (laughs) Sure I did. (laughs) This is... uh, This is... uh, (laughs) No. I can't. I can't make a joke. No, I did read the book. Okay. Um, while they're being, they're fighting with the bear. Ileana finds that her, you know, soul sword is particularly effective. She's protected a few times by Warlock, but I don't think they ever figure out who it is in I don't these think it's issues. Warlock. No, 
No, I think this is weird time shenanigans because Warlock is part of this alien race that, like, is techno-organic, so they've got, like, machinery, and so there's this techno-organic virus that infests Limbo, which is where Ileana gets her powers from, but Limbo Uh is also kind of, like, weirdly displaced in time, and so the past and the future don't really have quite the same meaning. And so I think it's, I think it's the future of Limbo manifesting in Ileana today. What, wait, the, where the bear takes them? No, the weird, every time the bear slashes Ileana, she gets like this weird, like cybernetic stuff that oh, appears. Oh, oh, okay, okay, never mind, okay. I thought it was supposed to be Warlock because they talked about him heading to Earth. Yeah, um, I don't think it is. Huh. I'm going to look that up while you're finishing your summary. They, um, well, this is where it gets troubling because they confront the bear. Um, Ileana is able to defeat it. But then they come back to the real world and two people that were taken over by the bear um, remain, um, as they call, as they say, Red Indians. It's like, wait a minute. Oh my gosh, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, the bear is defeated and Danny's parents are set free and so they come back to the real world. But um, the police officer and the nurse that were, um, you know, turned into demons... Um, ha- they're not their true selves. They're uh, they're not their true selves. They're re- still Red Indians. I'm like, that seems like a really odd term for like the mid '80s, even. And like, I don't think I, I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was just they they didn't know that. Oh, that that might be conf- that might be offensive. Like you, rather than saying the you know name of the tribe or whatever, or just these are Native Americans, whatever. Yeah. But Danny Moonstar, um, her, her uh, parents is it? Why is his name Lone Star? That's odd. I'm William Lone Star, Doctor. This is my wife, Peg. Our daughter, Danielle, is your patient. Is, why is his last name Lone Star when her last name is Moonstar? Is that just an oversight, or is that, like, a naming tradition I'm not aware of? I think that's maybe a bunch of people in the 80s not really knowing how Native American stuff works. Well, you turn the page, and Mo, uh, 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 Storm has a mohawk, so all is right with the world again. But... <laughs> You're not a fan of the the Storm Mohawk? No. Oh, I love Storm Storm Mohawk. Okay. Mohawk Storm yeah. is best Storm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, her her teammates, uh, as they're able to uh, fight the demon bear, it turns out the demon bear was her parents, um, forced to act on the demon bear's behalf, and tr- also kind of trying to reach out to her to free them, and they did, and so her parents are back. And so we leave with them saying, we're going to try to look into this and find out if there's something going on with the occult. And maybe Stephen Strange will know. And um, yeah, Professor X is proud of them. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. It's uh, it's an odd uh, it's an odd couple of issues here. Uh, so I looked up the armor thing, and I think it's just part of her, like, it, it comes from the same place as her sword does. Okay. So it's it comes from Limbo. I don't think it's actually that connected to the the technarchy or the the warlockosity or whatever that all whole thing is i don't really understand it but it um is part of her demonic aspect so it's uncomfortable to her and to her teammates that was ju- that was one thing that was confusing the um people that they fight um when they're fighting against the police officer and the nurse the way they look, the way their eyes are and her armor that shows up it kind of is like the warlock style a little bit like if you look at 
the eyes of the characters on page eight and nine in the uh, third issue. You know, yeah. for a second I was like, oh, is Warlock drawn into this? And this is how he joins the team is they, they discover him in this this fight and then he like comes back with them. But it was you know, a little little confusing for me. Uh, I liked Bill the Sienkiewicz. art, but that's, yeah. that's just how Bill Sienkiewicz rolls. How, wait, okay. how do you pronounce that name? <laughs> the name is pronounced Sienkiewicz. Shearcy. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, he's he's got a very peculiar style. Um, I like it. It's very stylized. And in certain sequences, it's very, very scratchy. I think the downside is that these kind of horrifying Native American stereotype specters look a lot like Warlock. And I mean horrifying in the sense that I uh, was way uncomfortable reading this in a way that I didn't think I would be. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, also, wait, who is Warlock? <laughs> oh, gosh. The alien... Okay, one of the team members that's been part of New Mutants... I mean, comes to the team after this issue, but since this time is this um, alien Warlock who, like uh, Steven said, is like a techno-organic... Uh, uh, creature sure and um sorry just looked them up yep yeah yep. you see warlock on page 11 of oh. issue 18 yeah it's this is this is chris claremont and so he is seeding future stories all throughout this chris claremont why you gotta do me like this <laughs> like i just want to read a book <laughs> oh, that's what he's trying to simple. give you yeah. a book to read yeah and 10 more after that but um, he uh, becomes linked to uh, Douglas. Is it Douglas Ramsey, who, Cipher, who has the coolest power where he can understand any language, speak any language. That's he just can understand and like doesn't like necessarily oh, look cool on the page. I'm sorry. Do you think he can understand Minnesotan? Oh sure, yeah. <laughs> Watch I'm a couple done. episodes of you know Fargo get the similar accent there. Yeah. Uh, side note: Have you guys seen the movie Drop Dead Gorgeous? No. Okay, there's a movie called Drop Dead Gorgeous, made in the late 90s. It's like a mockumentary, has a bunch of famous people in it. It was Kirsten Dunst as like the lead, and so take that or leave it as you like. But it's really funny. It's about a small-town beauty pageant, and it's really, really funny. But they, it, it's in Minnesota, Mount Rose, Minnesota, and uh, it's I'll very funny. I'll take for it. Anyway, <clears throat> this, I think, is one of the first big events for New Mutants, I want to say. I mean, they're a fairly new team at this point, only a few years old. One of many uh, books that Claremont was writing at the time. This, I don't know, it barely feels like an event. This just kind of feels like a natural part of somebody's storyline. Mm-hmm. This is a really influential story, though. Like, if you talk about the New Mutants, this is, like, one of their big story arcs. I'm not 100% sure why... Other than, A, Danny Moonstar is a great character, and so people, I think, liked the development that she got. B, uh-huh. Bill Sienkiewicz draws a mean demon bear. Yeah. And C, apparently you can be turned into a Native American. Sorry, I'm never going to be able to move past that. That is so baffling. I mean, isn't that the American yeah. dream? Oh, gosh, I mean... The Native maybe- American dream? I feel uncomfortable that, with those words having left my mouth. I'm, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, this is... Like, I actually was really getting into this book. Because, again, I actually really like Bill Sienkiewicz. I think the way he draws the demon bear itself is phenomenal. I love the way that... This is... Uh, the colorist is Glynis Ween. Yeah. Uh, her colors are so wild. I love them. Um, yeah. 
And then we get to the part where the, the police officer and the nurse get captured by the bear and they get turned into the mascot for a major league baseball team. And it's just like, <laughs> I can't, I can't. And then they turn back into like normal humans, but they're still Native Americans. And I don't understand and the why way these that decisions it's not, were made. It's like, why did they do that? And they're also, everyone's acting like, oh no, how terrible. And it's like, whoa, okay, like, this is a problem, but, like, don't treat it like they, like, caught something, you know? Like, yeah. This is why I, when we watch Peter Pan at my house, I make my three-year-old, we skip the uh, what makes a red man red scene, and I don't let her say the word engine, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, seriously. It's difficult to explain racism to a, ch- a child, like, oh, well, you see, um, who? I'm uh, reading the, the character biography for Tom Corsi, who is the police officer on Wikipedia, uh-huh. It's a mess. <laughs> it's like... Oh, this isn't the no. only thing that happens to him? <laughs> no, apparently he comes back. His, like, the image of him isn't even a uh, Sienkiewicz picture. I'm not sure who draws it what, exactly. What's his name? Tom Corsi. C-O-R-S-I. Okay. Maybe he's like the returning punching bag. Anytime things go wrong in the New Mutant stories, we go, oh, what happened to Tom this week? Uh, apparently, according... To Wikipedia, due to the demon bear's enchantment off his body, uh, Tom has moderately enhanced strength. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, he Not can all lift bad. twice twice the amount of the world weightlifting record with relative ease. Not bad. Later, Tom and Sharon, who was the nurse, are mentally attacked by the new mutant's long-term adversary, Empath. The man twists the attraction the two have for each other into a sexual obsession, which lasts for several days. Ah, cool. Claremont, cool. you nasty. I'm assuming that's Claremont. <laughs> that might not be Claremont. That sounds like Claremont, though. <laughs> I mean, I could see it happening on a soap opera, so then, yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's bring it back to the demon bear, which kind of a mess, but, like, I don't know. There are elements of it that I really, really like. Um, I like the way Claremont writes, like, team dynamics, and because he gives characters like sort of distinct motivations and distinct voices like uh i love how rain sinclair is just like the good little catholic girl who also has a lot of the catholic girls intolerances so it's it's like her her faith is played as a virtue except when it's not a virtue it's it's a complicated portrayal of a fully fleshed out character and i think claremont does a good job of that in general and in specific, I think in this book does a really good job with Rain. I think Danny Moonstar gets a good bit of portrayal before she's taken out of the story, more or less, by getting rendered unconscious. Uh, Ileana has some great uh, sort of complexity going on where she has this sort of like innate cruelty that is manifesting itself and she's kind of afraid of it. And it's kind of like her armor that manifests itself and she's kind of afraid of that. Uh, I feel like Sunspot has a couple of good moments of bravado. And that, like, Cannonball and Amara, I I don't remember if you mentioned Magma in your rundown of the characters on the team, John, but Magma's in this, and, like, I don't think either of them get much to do, and Magma in general, I think, is kind of a weaker character. So, they're they're not all great. I forgot that she was, I forgot, like, what her deal was. Um, We do get, I'm trying to find, it's, it's phrased the same way, like, 
how Cannonball's powers are always I'm nigh invulnerable when I'm blasting. Like it's the it's phrased almost the same way every time, and it's like we get it, Cannonball. Like can, yeah, like we get it every time, but it's it's just funny. Yep, indeed. Um, also, Tom and uh, and Sharon went to live at the Xavier Mansion, and they became the nurse and PE teacher. There you go. Until Tom got fired for like budget cuts, and Sharon died. <laughs> Because they couldn't explain why they were suddenly Native American, and that's why they went. <laughs> um. Anyways, I didn't like the book that much. <laughs> I can tell. I can kind of tell. It's it's a, it's a okay. It's a fine book. I you know what it is though. I just don't like a lot of the X Men events. Um. In fact, I'm starting to believe I might not actually like the X Men. Um. <gasps> But wait, we haven't read Second Coming yet. <laughs> you know what, John? Let my let me tell you one thing, and I think you'll understand. My favorite X-Men event thus far is still AVX. <laughs> ah. And I don't know what that tells you about me, but I feel like it tells you a lot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know what it is about X-Men. I just... Like, okay. So, first of all, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a good book. It's a Claremont book. I don't... We already know Claremont and you are not a good match. Yeah, we're not a good match. Uh, yet again, I open the page and it's like, oh my gosh, why all these words? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of talking and not a lot of saying of anything. Um, but I also did not was not a fan of the art. Um, not not a big fan. It's it's uh, for me it was a little hard to follow a lot of the time. It reminded me a lot of Dave McKean's art from. Uh, Arkham Asylum, Serious House and Serious Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a pretty apt comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, which that is also my low point with that book is the art. It's it's beautiful. It's well done, but Dag Nabbit, I have a hard time following. Uh, and so I, I kind of had that that problem here too. I get that. I think Sinkevich is easier to read than Dave McKean. Having read some of McKean's other work, not just uh, Arkham Asylum, a Serious House and a Serious Earth, which is. The older I get, the more I'm like, this book is not as clever as it thinks it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, where where I really like Sienkiewicz, uh, there are a couple of aspects that I really like. One is kind of his big splash pages. Most of the ones involving the bear. I think, honestly, my favorite is probably, you know, the first page in issue 18, where we've got kind of the the almost crossword puzzle image of the bear on top of Danny's uh, bed sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like the way he draws, like, contemplative faces. I feel like we get a lot with Ileana. Um, page 9 of the same issue, uh, we get an image where Ileana's kind of, like, handling the controls of the danger room, and she's front-lit, so she's, like, bathed in light, and she's resting her chin on her hand and kind of, like, thinking. Uh, he gets a lot of good close-ups of Ileana that I think work really well. And then I'm flipping through this again. We get the giant image of the demon bear on page 17. Like, I, I could just go through. And, like, there are single images throughout this book that I think are gorgeous. And he definitely has this sort of, like, scratchy, almost muddy quality to his work that, although you're spot on, Dave McKean. But, I don't know. It works for me a lot more than, than Dave McKean's stuff does. It's just all the racism. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's fair. Racism aside, uh, not not a super big fan of this book. I don't know. Maybe maybe just eighties X Men and me. We just don't. We're just we're just not meant to be. I do think eighties X Men is kind of. 
I don't know. I don't want to say it's an acquired taste because that makes it sound more pretentious than it really is. It takes more work. And it does. Certainly it's does. It's not always worth it to put in the extra yeah. work. Uh, I think I would have liked this if it was just a little easier to follow. It's just, it's just a lot of it for me was just like, wait, where are we now? Wait, what's going on? Wait, who, who are these people again? Yeah, and I don't think it helps that the New Mutants are like the least well explored X group. Like Ileana accepted. I don't think these characters are really all that vital to the X brand. So, like, I couldn't tell you what Cannonball's deal is today. I couldn't tell you what Wolfsbane is up to today or did, Sunspot. Didn't Cannonball become Penance? No, that's Speedball. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I never knew, never knew uh, categorically I was nerdier than someone on this podcast, but there we go. John, nerdier than Aldo. I mean, you want me to talk about some manga and anime? <laughs> I take back my previous <laughs> You nerd. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Anyways, it's it's a good book. I, I mean, I liked it. I, I really like the whole concept of the demon bear. The demon bear was actually really neat. Um, Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's just not, not my cup of tea on this one. For all my defense of Bill Sienkiewicz, I'm sorry. I'm like flipping through this book just looking at the images. Every time I get to like, okay, the freaking, the third issue, issue 20, Badlands. Every time I get to the image of... Uh, Tom Corsi and Sharon like transformed into like demonic looking Native American type people. Every time I get to one of those images, I just cringe. They're all so bad. And it's not like they're badly designed. It's just like, this is some weird cultural appropriation. I don't know if it's even cultural appropriation as long as, as much as it's just racist. Like it's just it's just bad. I, like it's not it's not like how about how about that how about that picture where the where, where the bear is making a a witchcraft kamehameha ball on page twelve. I mean, I kind of like that one. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, <laughs> I like the image. I like the image where Eliana splits the bear in half. It's really cool. Like if if it has a bear in it, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a fan of the image. Like it's just that, you know, he nailed the the villain in this piece. He did, but like the story itself is is dealing in like a culture that I don't think any of the creators are really knowledgeable about, and I feel like that's part of the discomfort. Like I looked into not just you know Claremont and. Uh, Sienkiewicz. I I to went see. to I went to Sienkiewicz's house. I grabbed his toothbrush. I grabbed some spit, and I took <laughs> oh, it to what to to twenty three and me, and that that came back negative. <laughs> came back white. No, I'm like, <laughs> I, I was just looking to see like if they have any sort of like real experience or knowledge of Native American issues, and. I don't, I don't think they do at all, like any of them. And that makes it so that this is, it's something that I think about a lot following a lot of uh, writers of minority backgrounds, at least United States minority backgrounds on, on Twitter and some of the conversation that they have. They'll talk about telling different stories and stories about different characters. And one point that I've seen brought up is just because you have an idea for a story doesn't mean that it's necessarily your story to tell 
Like if you're writing about something that is outside of your experience, do your homework. You shouldn't like feel like you can't write it if it's outside your experience, but do your homework, talk to people who have that experience, hire sensitivity readers. And at the end of the day, maybe, yeah, you consider that this isn't your place to tell this story and leave that to somebody else. And I kind of feel like Demon Bear Saga would have benefited from having somebody with experience from like a Native American background writing it. Especially like, this would be a story that I would love to see like revisited in in sort of an out of continuity if if there is like a Native American writer who is uh, willing to work for Marvel Comics. Uh, Like I would love to see them take the same basic structure maybe, but then use their own experience to kind of tell a story that feels more authentic to what Danny Moonstar might have gone through. There's a place, I think, for characters like Danny, where, you know, there was, like, almost no representation for Native Americans in comics, and then there's Moonstar. Like, that's great. It's better than nothing. But (laughs) there were so many... Like, as much as I like the art, and I love this art, I I think it's tainted. I just just can't get past it. Yeah, I was enjoying it and then hit that point, and I was like, whoa, hold up. (laughs) Like, what's going on now? So... I wonder if they're going to, because they're they're um, doing a New Mutants movie, and they're all in a uh, like a kind of a, like a mental ward together or a hospital together. And part of me was like, well, they could draw on some of this if they wanted to, like they were all collected, you know. But it's more of um, like kind of a horror based what they were doing. I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to see. Why do you think we're reading Demon Bear Saga? <laughs> I know we're reading Demon Bear Saga. I'm just saying, I wonder if this is what they pull for the movie or not. It is. It is? It is. Have they set that on record? That's That seems to be the scuttlebutt among the comics newsosphere. Well, hmm. we're not getting uh, John Hamm as Mr. Sinister, though, which is a shame, because that could have been really cool. Oh, so so actually, uh, this is a bit of a tangent. Oh, yep, that sorry. I just, I just caught up. Yep, yep. Demon Bear. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, the, so there is a writer uh, who does. I think he does, he does comics. His name is Michael, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing his last name. Shayashe. Uh, he's an indigenous author from New Mexico, and apparently he's written a book called Native Americans in Comic Books: A Critical Study. Uh, oh yeah. So, so I'm actually a little curious about if that talks about this. Would have been smarter to do that research earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but I, actually, actually, I'd be, I'd be real curious to get his opinion on this. Indeed. Anything else that we want to say about this kind of uncomfortable book? It's actually good, but it's tainted. If you, if you, if <laughs> wait, if you what? Can, yeah, I said it's actually good. Do we bring you? Do we bring you around in this conversation? No. From no, okay. I just, I just accept that it's a good book. It's just not my cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, I liked it, except it's like there's a little asterisk next to it, so it's like, I don't want to, I I remember enjoying p- most of the movie Holiday Inn, but I think there's a scene where they do a song in blackface, and so it's like, well, I'm never going to own that one or watch it again. <laughs> it's like, yeah. hey, have we revisited Tropic Thunder since? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> where does that, where does that land, like, <laughs> is that, is that scene as offensive or... Like the fact that he did it, or like, is it because it's it's because it's pointing out an issue of of a thing like that being offensive? I don't, yeah. I don't, man. Comedy's a gray space. You know what else is a gray space? Where we're gonna rank these comics? 
Listen, I'm not the I'm not the podcast host. I'm, it's not my job. To I mean, it was a bit tortured, but you did you you made a good effort. I, yay! Also, we were I I moved us onto like Tropic Thunder, and I feel like that was the signal <laughs> that we've run out of stuff to say. <laughs> I was gonna say like, has that always been the signal? Because man, I, I don't remember that. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's rank these. Going to the rankings. We have 83 books on our list. 83 whole books. 83 whole books. Wow. wow. Coming up on two years, as we mentioned earlier, that's just crazy. Indeed. Wow. Yeah. April 26th. Mark it on your calendars. It's Superhuman Registration Day. <laughs> Go register your favorite superhumans. <laughs> God. If you see something, say something. <laughs> okay. Where do we want to rank Purple Daughter? I want to rank it just a little bit above uh, the other one. Blind Spot? Yes. So Kelly Thompson's two books are kind of on the same, like they're in roughly the same spot. Blind Spot is at 36. Rogan Gambit is at 34. She's a solid 30. See, I would put it above Galaxy's Best Detective, but under Thor's Battle World, because I think Thor's Battle World is lower than Galaxy's Best Detective because uh, you two are wrong. <laughs> and, and democracy sucks sometimes, as we've as we've frequently said. If I had to guess, Thor's Battle World is where it is because of where I argued it to be. Mm, I feel like that's that, accurate. Right? That seems like me. But the throg is in it. <laughs> I don't know. I think this is probably better than Thor's Battle World. I think it's better than A Babies versus X Babies, and I think it's better than Galaxy's Best Detective. I am not sure that it's better than Craven's Last Hunt. I think uh, it is because it doesn't have that Ratman in it. <laughs> yeah, the Ratman is actually pretty bad. Um, I would I would put it at thirty. Hard ceiling. I cannot put it higher than Thunder in Her Veins. I mean, I don't think any of us were going that crazy, Stephen. Yeah. Calm down. No, no. no. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't think it's. <laughs> I don't think it's better than than Gwenpool. Believe it. Okay. Um. I would definitely read this over Craven's Last Hunt. I'll say that much. And actually, when you point out Vermin, I, I actually think I agree with you. <laughs> um. See, I was giving Craven's Last Hunt more more because of its nature as like a classic story, but yeah, I don't like Vermin. I, I typically rank these not just on like. I think for me, if I was to like rank what I rank these books on, uh, their impact on comics is usually like my third choice. My second choice is like or my third. My second rank is like what I recommend this to somebody, and my first choice is like would I prefer to read this over this other stuff? Yeah, I I think impact like impact does have to count for something. Oh, it does. And to be honest, other than being touted frequently as one of the best Spider-Man stories, what is the impact of Craven's Last Hunt? Craven died. Craven died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he's back. Oh, that's fair. So you know, <laughs> I mean, it set off a crazy set of revenge stories that I don't. I don't... Oh, that's true. I forgot about the Gauntlet. Yeah. There's a bunch of stuff. There's like his daughter yeah. does a thing. The gauntlet is a thing. There's just a, the a was, lot. What I read of the gauntlet was really good. I don't think I finished it, but what I read of it was really good. Um, yeah, but I, at the same time, I think I'm kind of with Aldo where I weigh my personal experience and whether I would hand this book to someone else a little bit more than I weigh like impact on the the comics culture or whatever. Because I think that's mutable. I think that's something that's constantly in discussion. And at the end of the day, I think we are, more than anything, 
qualified to chronicle our own experience over what the industry as a whole takes from a particular event, if that makes sense. Fine, we'll put it above Craven's last time. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so that is our new number 29 going in in between Gwenpool, Believe It, and Spider-Man Craven's Last Hunt. We're talking about Purple Daughter, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Okay, because I was going to regret this if we were talking about Surprise, Demon Surprise, it's Demon Bear Saga! No! <laughs> no, Demon Bear Saga, um, here's the thing. The first comparison that comes to mind for me is Wolverine. Ah, uh, yeah. The, the Frank Miller book. Yes. It's, Wolverine made me uncomfortable uh, on the next read-through, which is, I think, why it's wound up as low on the list as it has. Wait, that's low? That's 25, Stephen. Yeah, but it started at 4. Yeah. It was also one of our earlier books. It's in the top 30% of the books. Yeah, but regardless, my point is, this isn't that high. Okay. Because this makes me more uncomfortable than Wolverine does. By a lot. Uh, But it's still really good, so I... Like, I don't know where that, that... Like, part of me wants to put this... Around where that Star Wars manga is. You know, oh my gosh. The same place. Yes, yeah. yes, Because yes. <laughs> it's like, the Star Wars manga we recommend for people who are fans of comics. It's like, you should read it if you're a fan of comics as a medium because you can learn a lot about how the medium itself functions. Um, and I feel like this is kind of like a masterfully told story with some elements that I, again... None of us are really qualified to comment on the Native American experience, so I don't necessarily... Like, it made me uncomfortable. It made me ask questions that I don't want to be asking when I'm reading a funny book about superpowered teenagers fighting a bear. <laughs> yeah. I was like, hey, hey, I didn't sign up for any kind of, you know, cultural faux pas. I just wanted some kids fighting a bear. That said, once I get there, it's like, okay, would I actually recommend this over the manga? No. Would I recommend it over Why Stands for Freedom? Yeah, I, mean, I would. Probably... I probably would. Yeah. Although, what are you thinking? I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of having the same train of thought because it's kind of like, why stand? Okay, no, no offense to why stands for freedom. What the Doc Reader Williams decided in Heart Nova. Um, all of those books don't really do much to like the greater mythos. Yeah. Uh, which is a bit of an insult to Reader Williams and, and Nova because they they introduced new characters. But unfortunately... Characters who, by the way, are still around. Yeah, they're still around, but they're not really, like, headliners. You know why? The MCU hasn't caught up to the need for a reboot of those characters yet. I mean, maybe... Well, Eve but... Ewing just relaunched Ironheart. Well, uh, yeah, I'm just saying, like, we, we they're not going to be as big as the other characters for everyone. You know, comic fans and non-comic fans apart. Yeah, but, like, MCU apart, like, Valeria... And uh, what's his name? Richards, like the kids, like they pick up headlines every once in a while. Uh, Miles Morales and and, uh, Ghost Spider, Gwen Stacy. I mean, granted, they're Spider characters, so of course they're going to get headlines. Yeah. Um, But like, I don't know. It just feels like we did them wrong. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They deserved better. (laughs) I mean, Miss Marvel picks up headlines. What team are are they a part of? Nova and uh, Spider-Man, Miles Morales? I and think Young Avengers, like, champions. champions, champions. That's right. Yep. Maybe that maybe that'd be a good one for us to visit to like give them their fair due. But for right now, I think it's better than Why Stands for Freedom. We should read Avengers Academy that from like the Battle World stuff. I read so uh, no, I read the uh, Avengers Academy when it was like the arcade. Like, what was it? Uh... It's like a battle royale thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. There are a lot of books we need to read. <laughs> 
You don't say. <laughs> uh, anyways. Uh, <laughs> Is that yeah, where we're going to put it? I, I, I would put it above... Uh, hesitantly put it above Why Stands for Freedom. And Yeah, with reservation. I think this is the book... <laughs> oh, oh, man, no. Uh, no. Steven, what? we talked about this. That, no. What has this whole thing been a... Oh, no, man. that is... No, no, that was unintentional. With hesitation. Concerns have been raised. <laughs> man. No, Steven... Gotta go talk to HR. Just just put the put the mic down. Alright. Go, go see go Jerry. T- go talk to Chuck. Chuck, yeah. Chuck <laughs> is gonna have your head on a platter. Yeah, Chuck Sprightly needs to hear about this before we take it to uh, HR. Man, he's gonna he's gonna yell. <laughs> How much of that are you gonna cut out? <laughs> Steven's gonna be like, guys, I ended up with I ended up with fifteen minutes of audio. What were you doing that night? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Just talking about red Indians, apparently. <laughs> no. Son of a gun. <laughs> what the duck are we doing, guys? <laughs> that's that's relevant because that's that's number forty-one. That's right around the area. Hey yo. So this is all done, and we're done, and shut up, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> that should be how you end it. You should end it just like that. Just this is all done, and we're done, and shut up, we're done. <laughs> It's like unfortunately. How do you... <laughs> unfortunately, I do have to, to remind everyone. I think you need to input like reading. thirty seconds of silence uh, after you say that. Uh, All right. Anyways, uh, so wait, where are we putting this? Right beneath the Star Wars manga. Forty-one. Okay, boy. How would you, yeah. how would you describe your working relationship with Steven? Well, shut up. We're done. We're d- <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> He's good at hurting uh. cats. For our next episode, we are going to read uh, the Fantastic Four relaunch from 2018, written by Dan Slott. So this is somewhat spinning out of uh, Secret Wars. This is the return of the Fantastic Four after Secret Wars. Uh, The story itself is called Fantastic Forever, which is the first three issues of Fantastic Four 2018. Uh, we're reading a little bit of a shorter story because the other story that we're reading is one that I anticipate we'll have more to talk about, and that is going to be Spider Island, the, the yeah. Dan Slott story arc. Uh, so it's a Dan Slott double feature. Hooray! And that takes place in Amazing Spider-Man issues number 666 through 673. Yes, 666. I'm, I'm surprised that's con- confined to one book, honestly. Because didn't Spider-Man have like a billion titles? Doesn't Spider-Man always have like a billion yeah, titles? Yeah, I'm sure there are tie-ins, but or there are like side issues, but not like it's... They're not making you jump around to different Spider-Man yeah, books that, for the story. I think Dan Slott tries to keep his stuff pretty centralized, because I know the other... I don't know if that was the other event that he did. Um... To the ends, ends of the, of the earth. earth. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that one was also pretty self-contained with all the other issues doing uh like the side stories and whatever. Yeah, it was like to see how Big Hero Six did in their fight against the bad guys in their corner of the globe, go to their comic. It was it but like you didn't miss out. You just cause they would report in and be like, Hey, all good here, you know, because there were different teams fighting all over. Like Spider Man was kind of limited in who he could trust and talk to. Yeah. So there Was that were these was that you know, yeah, that was that helped out. Yeah. That's all. It's pretty, pretty nice <laughs> in yep. terms of events. Yep. He's a nice person. Merciful on your wallet. Thank you, merciful Dancelot. Thank you, Dancelot. <laughs> and on that note, I think we got to be done because I've about had it with you guys. 
<laughs> just so so tired. See you next time when we talk about Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, good night. This has been the Superhuman Registration Podcast. You're on our list, which means when you guys fall asleep tonight, I'm going to come over to your houses and gut you. Well, the nice thing is I have a 14-hour heads up, which gives me just enough time to build an iron suit. <laughs> Whatever. I, w- I have three children under three. I will not be falling asleep tonight. <laughs> Do your worst. <laughs>